0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to talk to you about the story of Christmas. It's an incredible story. This isn't a small story. It's not a little story. It's not a story that, um, that should ever become regular to us. This is just something that's, that's so beyond. And, um, and it's really about the story of salvation. It's really about the story of light and darkness. This is an eternal, powerful, universal story. It's a universal story. Because sometimes we think, I got it, I heard it, you know, I grew up, I felt bored, I saw Charlie Brown, I got it. But that's not what this is. This is a story from the cosmos. The Christmas story is the precipice of all creation that God put on human form, and came down to us because we could not get up to him so that he could dwell among us, have relationship with us, and open the door that we might one day dwell with him in eternity and in heaven. This is a story for the cosmos. This is a universal story, bigger than any other story that's ever been told. But what's so powerful about it is it's a universal story that intersects with regular people. I mean, just regular people. Most of these people were minding their own business, and God, in his infinite plan and wisdom, came down and chose them to be a part of the most incredible thing that humanity was to ever see. He just chose some teenagers and some old people and some young people, and he says, all right, you guys are all going to be a part of this universal story. Universal story with regular people for the rescue of humanity. It's for the rescue of humanity. The rescue for you and me and your family and all those that are far off from God. By the way, this is why the enemy hates this time of Christmas. And this is why darkness tries to come over people's lives and minds in Christmas. You know, all the rates go up. The addiction and suicide rates all go up around this time. And I think it's because the enemy knows it's such a season of victory It's such a season of light, joy, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, generosity to all, that the enemy is always trying to claw his way back. But Jesus Christ has overcome. He's won the final victory. And so we're going to celebrate this season. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to look at it with a fresh lens. Let's ask God for new eyes. We're going to open our hearts. We're going to open our minds. We're not going to treat this as if this is regular and normal. It's nothing. It's nothing like regular normal. No, it's, it's supernatural. It's overpowering. It's amazing. So, Lord Jesus, will your presence just come here? We open our hearts and we open our minds. We want to hear from you, Lord Jesus. We want to hear from you today, God. God, we thank you that you came 2,000 years ago to reveal God to us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you came to show us who God is. And I pray as I speak, Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to all different situations, all different things that people need to hear. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Come and speak to us. pray no distractions, but a spirit of expectation, an atmosphere of awakening. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, Amen. 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 This is the greatest story that's ever been told. And you can tell when a story is going to be good by the beginning of the story. Have you ever been in a situation where someone starts telling you a story, but about one sentence in, you drift. Because you can tell, I can tell this story ain't going anywhere. Ever, anyone ever tried to tell you their dream and not like a spiritual dream or their vision, just like a normal dream? Like, yeah, you know, and then I was I was I was racing go-karts and I was at my house, but it wasn't my house. It was a seven-eleven and it's like I'm out. The story stinks, you know. <laughs> you know, but but you could also tell a good story from the beginning. They'd be like, it was forty, it was forty degrees below zero. The wolves were surrounding us. We were in Milwaukee. We were hunting elk, and it's like, tell me more. Tell me about the wolves, you know? A great story. You can tell from, from the intro, you know? The, the minute you heard that line, for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I could tell this is going to be a good story. I'm in. You got me, you know? You got me. What I, what I love about the story of Jesus as told by John is the way he begins it. There's four different gospels, and they all come at the story of Jesus. It's one story told four different perspectives, but it's one story, but they all, they all come at it in a different way, but my favorite way is how John, the apostle that Jesus loves, uh, loved, whom he keeps reminding us in his whole gospels, like the one Jesus loved, by the way, Jesus loved, three chapters later, still loved, still loved, and then at the end, he's like, we ran to the tomb, the apostle that Jesus loved got there first, I'm faster than Peter, just saying, you know, he runs the church, but I run faster, you know, <laughs> It's, uh, John just had a real close relationship with Jesus, and, and he really knew Jesus. He, he, he knew him intimately, and, and they were like like brothers. And, and when it came time for John to tell us the story of Jesus and who he was, he begins in an incredible way. He begins with the beginning deserving Jesus. John chapter one, verse one, he says, in the beginning. Because in order for John to tell the story of Jesus, he can't start at the manger. He can't start with Mary. He has to start where the story actually began. And so he says, Let me tell you something about Jesus. In order to tell you about him, I have to go all the way back to the beginning of time. I have to go all the way back to create, creation moment itself. Because if you don't understand creation and creator, you're never gonna understand Christ. So he, he uses this phrase, which, by the way, is the greatest beginning to a story ever anyways, in the beginning. you got to start at the beginning. You know, when I, when I was making conference uh, openers, you know, every year, we had one rule. We start in space because you got to start big. you got to start where it all began. You start in space, and then we'll bring it home, you know. He's saying we're going to go all the way back to the formation of all things in space. The beginning, because you cannot understand Jesus outside of the creator and the creation story. And he's, he's paralleling it to Genesis. In fact, we'll look at this parallel back and forth because he's trying to show us an aspect of Jesus that we might not understand if we just start at the manger and go into the miracles. We have to go all the way back to the maker. Yeah. In the beginning. And, and, and we see that in John 1, and then we see it in Genesis 1:1, 1, 1, in the beginning. And here's this parallel. But in Genesis 1, we see that the writer Moses says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before anything was, there was God. God was not created in the beginning. He was the uncreated being, always was, always is, always will be. And from God came creation. In the beginning, God already existed and all things that were going to exist. We're going to come through him in the beginning, God. But John shows us another side of, of this. And for thousands of years, people believed it was just God in the beginning. But John says, actually, let me show you another side to this story. John says, in the beginning was the word. Hold on. The word was with God in the beginning. But more than that, the word was God. John is is. is like removing the curtain and ha- letting you see the scene from a different perspective. You, you know those movies where they go back in time and you see a scene that you've already seen in the other movie or the movie before it or a scene before it? You see it, but from a different perspective, you know? Like in Avengers where they go back to the old movies and you're watching it, but new things are happening. This is what John's doing. He's saying, you thought you knew was it in the beginning God, but hold on. There was someone else there. It was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So what John begins to lay out is the concept of the Trinity. We see God the Father. We see God the Son. We see God the Holy Spirit. If I read the next verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters. So we see, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all coming together in creation. And so what John is saying is the first time Jesus showed up wasn't in a manger. But Jesus existed before that. In fact, he existed before all of creation. In fact, the word that was executed in creation, that was Jesus. See, the word he uses here, word, is actually a Greek word called logos. Logos is the word that he uses. And when we use the word logos, it means so much more than in our our just English definition of, of word. Logos isn't really just translated as a word like the. Logos actually has built into it all of this really deep stuff, this ancient philosophy in Greek and Hellenistic thought and Jewish thinkers, they all use this word logos, and the word logos defined means this logos means um, a word or a reason or a plan it, it, it's more it 's more the concept of logic or reasoning, a force of reason itself and As this was developed in the Greek word, the first uh, philosopher Heraclitus actually began to write around this concept saying, look, there is something in the universe that helped make the universe be. There is something that brought order out of chaos. There's something that helps us reason. There's something that helps us understand. There's there's some sort of of creative force that executes our thinking. And, and, And it's a little bit like a word. It's a little bit like, A making, you've heard the phrase, your words create worlds. There's just something about your word that begins to bring orders in order into things. There's just something about a word that begins to have a plan and reason and action. And and this is the word logos that John is using on purpose because he's trying to say, hey guys, for hundreds of years you've been trying to figure out what is that creative force in the world? What is that impersonal force that executes? The will of a greater being. Because they all believed it. What is the thing that brings, brings for, uh, for out of chaos brings order? And he says, I, I, know, I know who it is and it actually has a name. It actually is a person. It's actually something that you can interact with. The logos is is a picture of like the divine providence of God, that there's an ordering of things. There's a a changing of things, that there was a force that said to the waters of the ocean, this far and no further. There's a force that put the sky and and the the ground and there was a separation. There's a force that brought out of dust man. What was that force? John is saying, "I, I know what it is. You've been searching and you've been thinking and you've been wondering, but I know what this force is. It actually actually has a name. More than that, it's not impersonal. It is personal. It can be known. It can be interacted with. In fact, this logos exists to reveal. Reveal. The logos is a revelation. Like, think of it this way. Think of it this way. If you have a thought in your inner self, it's only by the word that that thought could be expressed. And when you express words, people begin to know you. Those words create a bridge through which people can get to know you. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth begins to speak. So I can begin to even know your heart, your soul by how you speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. And what this logos is, is there is a speech. There is a pattern. There is a force that comes from God, but that you can travel that bridge backwards and figure out who God is. Jesus is the revelation, the revealing of God. In the beginning was the logos. And the Logos was not impersonal. No, it was personal. It was Jesus Christ, and he was there in the present, and he was beginning to execute creation. He was calling things out of chaos and into order. By the way, that's good news for you today because if you feel like your life is filled with chaos, there is a force in the universe, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus, and he can begin to call order out of your life. He can begin to call order... Out of your mind, the Bible says, take every single thought captive and submit it to Jesus and let Jesus say yes or no. He is the order of things. He is the, he is the, the way maker of things. He is the one that brings light and change into the world. He personifies God. I was speaking to a friend of mine that's a creative des- designer that was talked. he creates logos for a living. And he was saying, when you make a logo, it is a stamp. It's an imprint. That shows the identity of a company. You can look at the logo and you can get the vibe. Coca-Cola, it's going to be good. Amazon, it's going to be evil. you know? Come Come on. The logo personifies the company, and this is what it's saying. It's the stamp. Jesus is the stamp. You can look at him and you can understand the vibe, the feeling, the reaction, the values, the culture of the organization behind it. Jesus was the identity of God revealed to mankind. In the beginning was the Logos. But, but look, it goes on. It says, it says uh, and God spoke, Genesis 1-3, and God spoke. There it is. There's Jesus. And God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. And God looks at the light and he says, this is good. This is good. I love lights. Love lights. My favorite thing in the whole world is lights. If I could have a church of all lights, that's what I would love to have. God said, let there be light. Here's why. Because light, light drives out darkness. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning, Jesus' purpose was to be the light that drives out darkness. John, he reveals this to us, and he says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. Now get this. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. It's not will not overcome it. It has not overcome it. The minute the light appeared, darkness lost. That's the good news for you today. Darkness loses. From the minute light appeared, darkness kept trying to claw its way back in. But light wins every single time. It's not that light will win. It's that light has won. And darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the whole world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, when God said, let there be light, that was me. I'm the light of the whole world. Do you know what's interesting in Genesis 1? Go read it. You know, God creates the light before he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens. Because even when those are wiped away, there still will be light that remains. And that light has a name. It is personified. It is Jesus Christ. And wherever he goes, there can be no darkness. There can be no pain. There can be no mourning. There can be no sickness. No, he is the light that comes in. And when he comes, darkness begins to be driven out. I'm I'm here to declare today that this time, this season, there will be no darkness in your mind or in your home or in your life. For the light of Jesus Christ has come came this is what we celebrate the fact that he has come and I pray right now in the name of Jesus light into your emotions light into your mind light into your 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 home light into your children I pray there is no things hidden away in darkness but we expose it right now and we invite the light of Jesus Christ come and take authority over the hidden things in our life we want no part of darkness we want to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, and wherever there is light, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is safety, and in Him is the light. So, darkness is now an option, but it's just an option. I no longer have to be controlled by darkness, I no longer have to be ruled by darkness, I no longer have to be obsessed with darkness. I once was in darkness, but he's called me into his glorious light. Darkness is now, it's an option, but it is not the ruler. It is not everything. It's just an option. I can choose it, but I don't have to anymore because I have the light of Jesus Christ over my life and and in my mind and on my spirit. And I I would just encourage you, do not embrace, do not fall in love with the darkness of your past just because that's all you've known. Make no mistake, it's just an option now. Your past no longer has authority over your present, certainly has no authority over your future. The darkness is not far-reaching. The light has come. The light has come. Be careful what you read, be careful who you speak to, be careful what you watch, be careful what you listen to, because there are things that are carriers of the darkness, but we're called to be carriers of the light of Jesus Christ. I want no part of darkness, I don't want to talk like it, look like it, act like it, I don't want to live in it, I don't want it on my mind, I don't want it on my emotions, so I must come closer to Jesus, the closer I am to Jesus, the more the light gets on me, and in me, and then comes through me. He is the light of the world who has conquered the darkness that tried to overtake me. In 1893, there was the World's Fair in Chicago. And during this time, there was, the, they called it the, the war of, uh, the, the, the race for light or the war of lightning. And, and uh, it was Nikola Tesla and uh, um, Westinghouse versus Thomas Edison. And they were trying to figure out who was going to light the World's Fair. At this time, electricity was brand new most people hadn't even seen a light bulb before it was it was a brand new concept and tesla won the contract and he put 100,000 light bulbs on the world's fair every sign every building every structure had light bulbs lining it like like almost like you've never even seen even till today it was astonishing and they hooked it all up and And the president of the United States was the one given the honor at that time to flip the switch. And in one moment, 100,000 light bulbs came on. And people had never seen one light bulb before, never mind 100,000. And in one minute, it was like we stepped out of a certain world and into the future where now light was an option or darkness was an option. In one moment, because of this advancement that humanity had had, they said you could see the light of that place 60 miles away, you could see the world's fair, and 27 million came through, almost all of them seeing light for the first time, electric light for the first time. When Jesus Christ came, he now put the switch in our hands, saying you no longer have to live in the old way, in the old past, but there has been an advancement, there has been an innovation, there has been something brand new, you now get to choose, come to me. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're heavy laden, if you're sick of living in darkness, I'm the light of life. And so now I got a choice, which is pretty amazing. Which is pretty amazing. I got a choice. I don't have to continually live under that threat and under that state. But I get to come into the light of Jesus Christ. Come on, can we just thank Jesus that he came to reveal God. To change our lives. <laughs> prophet Isaiah saw this coming 700 years before Jesus ever showed up. He said, look, the sun will, be no, will no more be your light. Nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Isaiah foresaw this. The prophet spoke it. Look at What we find in Revelation when all things pass away, uh, John, who got this vision, begins to speak of what the new city, the new heaven and the new earth will be like. And he says, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ is going to be the sole force of light for the whole planet when we're in heaven no more need for electricity. No more need for man-made things is Jesus and Jesus alone. But I'm here to tell you, we don't just have to wait for that. Jesus can come and be the light of our life here and now. Look at this promise from Isaiah. He says, the people who walked in darkness, and maybe you're someone who's been walking in darkness for a long time. Before you come in Jesus, come to Jesus, the, the only thing that you have is, 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 the, the, um, is the, only, the only way to live is like stumbling through the darkness. My, my kids have little, um, they've got little stools, right, because they're so small. And they bring these stools everywhere, and you would be astonished at the places that they can get to with stools. It's unbelievable. I don't know if, if any parents are here of small children, but stools are the greatest weapon that, that they've ever been given. My son has a, a double-decker stool, but it's, it's, it's pitch black, and, and he keeps it right in the hallway where I, I go at night to, uh, to, you know, turn on the alarm system and everything. And every single night, I walk into this kid's stool, you know? And I'm like Joe Pesci in Home Alone, you know? So frustrating, so frustrating. When you walk in darkness, you stumble around. When you walk in darkness, it's just pain. When you walk in darkness, you are on your own. But when the light begins to come, all of a sudden, obstacles, they become avoidable. It's my kid's stool. That's not some unbelievable, overwhelming thing. I'm just going to move right around that. When the light begins to come in, the ways you used to live begin to change totally. And the light begins to reveal things saying, hey, you got to be honest about this thing now. Come on, you need to face this thing now. The light The word is a lamp, the word. The logos is a lamp unto my feet. Come on, he's a light unto my path. Come on, how many thank God that Jesus came and he changed everything. To those who dwelt in a land of darkness, maybe you've been living in a land of darkness. No, on them, a light has shone and his name is Jesus Christ. John is speaking about this concept. Remember I told you it's a universal concept? This is as big as we could possibly go talking about light and darkness, talking about universe and creation. This is as big as you could go. And John pivots in verse five, and he throws this this sentence in there that seems to me to be absolutely out of nowhere. John, John says, oh, by the way, talking about light and darkness and eternity and things to come and things past, there was a man who was sent from God and whose name was John. And it's like, John, this is you're talking about pretty eternal things. And then he's almost like, oh, I ah, almost forgot. There was this guy who came, and his name was John. And it's like, okay, we just took a hard left turn here from, like, the deep philosophy of eternity to be like, oh, i got to tell you about this guy, John. And he, and he begins to tell us in verse 7, he's like, he, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. this man, John, was going to be known as John the Baptist, and so the apostle John is writing about this man, John the Baptist, and he was saying in the midst of these eternal, powerful, unbelievable things that Jesus has come to be the revealing of all, there was a human being who showed up, and he had a very regular name, and he had regular parents, and it was very normal, and his name was John. You see the juxtaposition that I'm trying to paint here? That God's doing amazing things, but he uses regular people. And he uses regular people in regular places at regular times because you might be thinking God's unbelievable story of creation doesn't include me. No, it does. And there are wars in the heavens. There are supernatural things that go on and it includes you. As you're eating oatmeal on a Monday morning, God's trying to get your attention. God is, is he has these powerful things going on, but let me tell you, he's not, not disconnected from your life and he's going to use you. He's going to use you in mighty ways. He's gonna use you in powerful ways. So in the midst of all of this, John says, I can't tell you the rest of the story until I tell you about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was actually one of the initiating events of the story of Christmas. You know, we always think it began with the angel showing up to Mary and being like, you're blessed and highly favored. And she's like, whoa, this is crazy. But that's actually not where it began. Talk about that next week, but that's not where it began. It actually began months before that where a man named Zechariah, who was a priest, he went into the temple at the moment of incense, and he was chosen to bring incense before the Lord and pray. And he was in the temple praying, ministering as a priest before the Lord, and all of a sudden, bam, a giant angel appears next to the altar. And the angel says, you are blessed, my man. This, I'm a messenger from God. I've come for you. I've seen what you've done, and all of your prayers are going to be answered. You are going to have a son. And at this point, Zechariah is an old man, but the angel is saying, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be used by God to turn people away from their sins, and he's going to be used as a messenger to go before the Messiah, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That is an awesome prayer time. You know what I'm saying? Giant angel appears. Bam! And Zechariah's like, oh, because he's afraid. Of course he's afraid. The giant angel shows up. And the angel's like, I'm answering your prayer. And it's like, this is this is awesome. This is the best prayer and praise moment I've ever been a part of. And what does Zechariah do? He says, uh, "Here's the thing. How is this possible? Because my wife and I, we've been barren our whole lives, and we've prayed so many times, and the prayer just has never been answered before. Time after time, just never been answered. I, I just, I just, I'm advanced in age." Why now? Why me? How is this possible? Have you ever been in a place where you've prayed for so long, even when God begins to answer it, it feels like it's not possible? An angel shows up, and instead of being like, this is awesome, he begins to argue with the angel, saying like, this this can't be possible. This can't be possible. Even as God is answering his prayers, he's saying, I'm having a difficult time believing. Hey, if you're having a difficult time believing, you got good company. Pretty much everyone in the Bible had a difficult time believing. A gigantic angel could appear in your passenger seat, and you'd still have a difficult time believing. Zachariah's my, like, what is in this incense? What's happening? Right? And Zachariah begins to, begins, to, he begins to engage in unbelief. Here's what's so interesting about this. This is so interesting to me about this. The Bible says John who's going to be Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. Look, the purpose, the goal of John living is that people would believe. And the very first person, the very first person this is all going to begin with says, I'm having a hard time believing. Listen, the enemy will always attack you where your calling is. The enemy will always attack you where your gift is. Or where your anointing is. Or can I say this? Where your passion is. Where where the reason God has made you, that's what the enemy's gonna come after. The enemy doesn't come after stuff you don't like. The enemy doesn't try and stop you from doing things you're not passionate about. No, it's when God begins to speak to you. That's when the enemy shows up and says, it can't be real, though. Come on, you tried this before. Come on, that prayer hasn't been answered for so long. How can you even trust this? Do you even know this angel? And the enemy tries to come and bring a bunch of lies and get you to agree with them with your words. With your words. And that's key here. Because don't forget, creation begins with the logos, with the word. And so here, he's saying, your son is gonna lead people to God. He's gonna be a witness, and all are gonna believe through him and instantly... He begins to struggle with unbelief and he begins to speak it into reality. This can't be true. This can't be possible. Make no mistake, your words do create worlds. Your words are very powerful. And when God wants to do something, you have the choice to agree with the light or to agree with the darkness. You have a choice to say amen to God's plan or amen to your past. So many people look at what has happened as the indicator of what will happen. We put faith in our past more than in God's promises. And he's saying, because it hasn't happened, it can't happen. But the angel is saying, God is greater than your past. God is greater than what could happen. God is greater than anything that man's ever even set up. God's going to supersede this thing, believe in the promise. But he opened his mouth and began to believe in the lie. And what did the angels do? The angel said, okay, because you can't agree with what God's doing, he says, I'm standing right now in the presence of God, and you don't have a spirit of agreement, so you're not going to talk for nine months till that boy shows up. Boom. The angel essentially says, this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Shut your mouth. (laughs) Shut your mouth. (laughs) Why? Why? Because Sometimes what God is doing is so powerful, you have to be careful that your words don't create an atmosphere of unbelief. God always works in atmospheres of belief. He works in atmospheres of expectation. He works in atmospheres of faith and how God is actually going to begin the greatest thing that we've ever seen. He's going to bring his son on earth and the first person that's told the news can't believe it. That's wild. If that isn't a picture of foreshadowing of humanity, I don't know what is. The first person who's religious and knows everything about God says, I don't know about this, though. And when he begins to speak it, God says "You can't speak anymore because you have to speak with, with faith. Come on, you got to speak with positivity. you got to speak with a good attitude. you got to speak righteousness. you got to speak peace. you got to speak love. Come on, you gotta speak, You got to use your logos for good. Come on, your world is going to begin to form around you. God is working, but you need to agree with that work. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe that you can do it. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're for me. God, this is painful, but I know that you are doing something that is going to bring goodness and purpose out of this pain. Be careful how you speak, because God is moving heaven and earth on your behalf. And all he's looking for is a yes and amen. All he's looking for is to say, God, you can do it. All he's looking for is for you to say God, I don't understand it, but you do it. Listen, negative, faithless talk creates an atmosphere where God can't work. So much so that angels said, until you can speak right, until you can speak faith, until you can speak hope, until you can speak up, don't speak at all. Come on, what did mom tell you? If you don't have anything good to say, if you don't have anything godly to say, don't say nothing at all. Because your words are so powerful. So Zachariah came out and, and, and everyone knew something crazy had happened. And when he was done serving, he went home and sure enough, his wife, Elizabeth, did become pregnant with the child that was to be John the Baptist, the one that was going to be the witness, the forerunner, the one that was going to prepare the way for the Lord. She became pregnant with John the Baptist and, uh, and an angel appeared To Mary, and and we'll talk about this next week in that incredible moment where he told her that she is going to be pregnant with the Messiah. But he also said, your cousin Elizabeth, she's pregnant also, and and it's a very special thing that's happening. Go see her. So Mary gets up, and she goes to where her cousin Elizabeth is, the the wife of Zechariah, the mother of John the Baptist. And, And both are pregnant. At this point, Elizabeth is about six months pregnant. And when Mary walks into the room, the Bible says the child within Elizabeth kicks. Because, see, the one that was supposed to witness, witnessed even in the womb. He recognized that's the presence. He recognized this is what I'm here for. He recognized his purpose before he was ever even born. Yeah, God has knit you and he has formed you, yes, yes. But make no mistake, he has has created you with a calling. He's created you with a purpose. He's created you with passions to lead you that way. And John, even in the the womb, said, this is why I'm here. That's him. That's the one I'm supposed to recognize. That's the one I'm supposed to be a witness for. The picture is like a, a witness on a stand. Where they call the witness up and they say, do you recognize the person in the room? And the witness under oath before God and man will say, that's the one. And so years later, the the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they came to John. And they said, John the Baptist, we can tell you are a man of God. There's just something different about you. And they said, are are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for? John says, I'm not the Messiah. So are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm I'm not Elijah. He said, well, who are you? Because there's something on you. We can see it. We can recognize it. The presence is the spirit of God. There's something about you. What are you here for? Who are you? John the Baptist quotes the prophet Isaiah from 700 years early. He says, I'm just a reed shaking in the wind. I'm nobody, but I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. What am I? I'm a witness to the works of Jesus Christ. I once was in darkness, but I'm being called into glorious light. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was living in seclusion, but I've been brought into community. I once was isolated, but I've been brought into family. What am I? I'm a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's real. It's changed me. Things have been rearranged in my life. I'm here to recognize Jesus. And more than that, more than that, I'm here to receive Jesus. So really, John the Baptist story should be our story as well. We're here to be witnesses to the light of Jesus Christ. That when we sense his presence, we recognize this is God. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He wants me to pray for this person. I, I can create an atmosphere of faith. I recognize, but, but it's not good enough just to recognize the presence of God. You have to receive it. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. This is why Jesus came to the earth was to be received by people. But well, the Bible says he came to his own, but his own, they didn't recognize him. John the Baptist recognized him. And John the Baptist, when, he was, when Jesus was walking over, over that path, he says, look, behold, that's the Lamb of God, and he's come to take away the sins of the world. And in this next verse, John says this. He says, I have seen and I've borne witness that this, Jesus, is the Son of God. He's come to reveal God. He's come to change lives. This is the one. I'm here to tell you today that you are part of a supernatural, incredible, eternal story. And I know you're living a regular life, and you've got regular problems, and, and you feel like you're, man, maybe you're just going through it, and you feel like i got nothing to give. Make no mistake. God has called you, appointed you, and chosen you. Even from the womb, he formed you so that when Jesus walks in, you can say, that's him. And when people say, what's on you? Is it because of you? Are you special? You say, it's not me. It's him. You become witnesses to the light of Jesus Christ. This is the Christmas story. It's our story. It's our story that all of heaven, all of heaven, all of heaven Look down on earth towards Jesus. And Jesus made a way so that we might one day join all of heaven. And in the in-between, we stay witnesses to the life of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.